Welcome to the 1L2N Podcast. I am Amy and we are joined by some slippery noodles today. Missy. I love pasta. Mike. I love noodles, pool noodles. Tommy. I'm definitely a penne. And our buttered up slipperiest noodle, Liam. Yo. We are a family of noodles going through the story writing process and we're bringing you along for the ride. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. Just wants to get. She can't help it. I can't help it. I can't. It always comes out. I think. I think you can, but you don't want to help it. (laughs) Hello, everyone. She's helping it get worse. (laughs) Welcome to the podcast. How are you? What's going on? See now. Better? Was that a better tone for you? Yeah, actually, it was. It was great. Perfect. Do one more take like that. Hello, everyone. How are you doing today? Oh my gosh. How's your week going? Liam, you're talking so much. Oh. Anyways, how's everyone's week going? What's happening? It's so hot. It's like 81 degrees and sunny with very low humidity. Oh my gosh. Oh, oh. Wow. What a tragedy. <laughs> your life sucks. I'm pissed wow. right now. Yeah. <laughs> it's fantastic outside. Uh, Although it has been fairly humid for Idaho. Working at the tree nursery. It's been great, though, because when you get like sprayed with water from the booms and stuff like that, you just walk outside and it dries off kind of right away. But this past week has been a little longer to dry off than usual. I don't know. <laughs> it's not as hot as it normally was? No, it's it's more humid. It's slightly more humid. Oh, more so, humid. Mm. Yeah, humidity sucks. It's been pretty rainy in North Carolina the past few weeks. And so there's been a few days where the humidity is like... It's up there, and it's like, ah, this is awful. Yeah, it's like 75, and you're like, wow, how is it 75 and like this? Yeah, which is weird. 75 feels like 86. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Feels like you're walking through a dense, like, fog at all times. And that's the thing. We walk at nights, so it's like we get the the coolest part of the day, and it's, oh, it's terrible. Man, that weather's crazy, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's some crazy weather, slippery noodle. That one. So I, I might have said this before, but I've traveled all over, and every single place I've ever been to, everybody says, "Well, you know, that's just like here. You wait five minutes. If you don't like the weather, it's gonna change." And I just think every single place I've ever been to, everybody says the same thing, but they all think it's unique to their locale. Like, oh, Missouri, oh my gosh. I've been waiting for six minutes and the weather still sucks. I'm ready for it to change. (laughs) (laughs) I will say I have a friend that lives out in Colorado and it would be like bright and sunny in the morning and then snowing in the afternoon and then bright and sunny again in the evening. And it's like, it would be interesting to see like her weather progression constantly is always so, so different. But other than that, I feel like I haven't really seen a place that the weather is like, ah, it changes with every five minutes. Well, I, I think what I, what I'm saying is regardless of whether or not it actually changes every five minutes, every single person says that about wherever they're located. Yeah. Oh, oh I see. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And it's like, well, not really. This isn't that bad. You got a couple of clouds. That's, you know, you know it's not changing of the weather. It's just clouds. Or like the happens. people when they go to the beach and they're like, oh, there's so many clouds today. Like, what? who cares? Clouds are nice. Exactly. I mean, I guess unless it's raining. Although a rainy day at a beach would be kind of nice. Rainy days in my the beach opinion. are the best. I love them. I don't think I've ever been. Oh, so uh, yeah, bright. I don't think I've done a rainy day at so the beach. Bright. Tommy, to the beach. To 
to the beach. <laughs> I don't know why. You can't see that. It doesn't matter. Whatever. I'm about uh, seven hours from the beach, I think. Maybe maybe six or so. And then West Coast Beach. I mean, they're they're gorgeous, but yeah, the water, oof, it's, it's not warm. It's the kind of wake you up sort of water. It's fine. Yeah, because they say to wake up in the morning, you jump in like a cold pool or something, or take a cold shower. It helps wake you uh, coffee. up. Coffee. That's what Just I'm coffee. saying. That's all you need. I got a second no. coffee pot this week. I didn't have no. one. I, oh, yeah. I consolidated <laughs> my coffee pot, so now I have two. So your life is going to be good. Double fist in some mugs every so day. So you can drink one while the other one is brewing. Mm-hmm. Except for this morning, I was like yawning, going, why am I so tired? And I was like, oh, I haven't brewed coffee. And he was like, go get your bean juice. So. <laughs> no. <laughs> Not bean juice. Oh, so this week, dad had me sort out a box of screws and nuts and washers that apparently when I was like five, I dumped over and he has never sorted. Are you and he kidding? goes, well, now that you're living with us, you can finally sort it. Oh, okay. <laughs> it took me from three in the afternoon to 10 o'clock at night to fully sort this thing with about an hour break here and there for bathroom and dinner and stuff. That was so intense. And they're so, we had like the, the box had like one tray of slots that you put all of them in. And I came out of there with four trays of slots worth of items because there's so many different items in this box, all the different sizes and stuff. It was a lot of fun because I love tedious stuff like that. But holy cow, that was a, that was, I think I'm done sorting for a bit. That was a lot. You were also sore after that because you were sitting all weird. Yeah. Okay. So on Sunday, I had vacuumed our basement, particularly like the ceiling, the rafters in the ceiling, and there's a lot of spider webs and stuff. So I did that for like three hours. So my side and my shoulder where I was holding the vacuum up was like really hurting me. So then on Monday, dad wanted me to pick up fallen sticks so that whenever you mowed the lawn, it it wouldn't tear up the mower. So I was picking up all the sticks all around our yard. We got a very big yard. And that like killed my hammy (laughs) on my one side on the same side that was still hurting from when I was vacuuming and then the next day I had to sort all the nuts and bolts and stuff and everything hurt no matter how I sat or whatever everything hurt so I laid on the floor to sort everything and then the next day I woke up and my whole chest and my whole back was killing me so it's just like I was in a lot of pain doing (laughs) all these dumb activities this week it was real great. But Tommy said I got my, what, legs, arms, and chest all yeah, done? Yeah, you accidentally did a full set of workouts there. So I have a question. So. Why has dad saved a box for like 25 years of unsorted stuff? And why does he blame it on you? Because apparently I did knock it over. I He had like drawers and I would like take them out and I'd like pour one into the other and then I, I'd like cascade them back and forth <laughs> and like mix them up. Yeah, that sounds like something you would do. <laughs> yeah, so I don't remember this, but uh, I guess he just hasn't sorted it. So I got to do that. It's a lifelong ch- yeah, is a childhood a- g- dream fully come to fruition, you know? He, yeah, that's like a grudge. He's like, when she goes up, she's sorting this. <laughs> he knew it. Waited 30 years to get his revenge on a toddler. 
I mean, I don't know if I, I, th- I think it was, they said five, but I don't know. Who knows? I could have been older. Probably did it when I was 17 or something like an idiot. Nah, he would have made you short it right then and there. <laughs> yeah, Not if you didn't know about it. But this week, I've been working a bunch, and then I asked Tommy for some help with my agony challenge, and he helped, and I really, really like it. And uh, it's amazing how how I feel like small things that he can add to a project that I do make it sound so much better. So I'm very excited to share that for you. I still have some final little bits I got to do on it. And then I've been playing um, God of War. 2018 God of War? Was it 18 came out? 2018, yeah. Yeah, whatever. Playing it on PC. Uh, Tommy's already played it. And I've I've enjoyed it quite a bit. It is it is very gripping story. And it is a unique way, not super unique, but I like the way that it's kind of told where it's told through small snippets of dialogue while you're going and walking between action sequences. And the dialogue's not just spelled out for you. It is, this is a conflict between a father and a son, and you're trying to figure out what's going on and they make you feel uncomfortable at points and they make you just want to say, just talk to each other, open up, everything will be fine if you just talk. But they don't do that, which makes it more interesting. So I've been enjoying the story aspect of the game quite a bit, which I've heard is fantastic. And that's you know why I was playing it. It's like what Sony's fourth mentor and apprentice esque story. <laughs> I mean, they're really good at doing those. So yeah. Yeah, you can see the standard video game stuff like climbing walls in very specific ways and squeezing through cracks. And I feel like God of War is kind of a culmination of the the end of the PlayStation 4 era. You know, it was uh, one of the later games to come out on there. And so all the the techniques that people have been using to hide loading screens and to, you know, have a little bit of action sequences and stuff, which are kind of getting dated at this point to me. But you can still see them in there. But it's definitely a very Sony feel in uh, certain aspects for it. But it's a fun game. The only the thing I like least about the game is the gameplay. I like the story so much. I like the way that everything is delivered, the dialogue and the interactions between characters that I just want more of that. I kind of want like an interactive story where I'm just walking around listening to them talk. And then all of a sudden a giant fight comes up and I'm like, oh, no, here we go. Yeah, let's get this over with. So it's it's crazy how I want the story to continue so much that I don't want to play the fighting aspect of the game, which is the actual gameplay. Yeah, I think it's really bad to me to have a game that you don't want to play the gameplay on. But it also says a lot about every other aspect of the game that every other aspect is so unbelievably strong that it still makes you want to, quote unquote, suffer through the gameplay. I mean, but it's it's unbelievably carried by the story and the voice actors. I mean, when you have Christopher Judge as Kratos, that's like all you need to say. That man's great. And then on top of that, you have Bear McCreary with a score. Yeah. So every mm-hmm. single time a cutscene hits and you're hearing Christopher Judge's voice with Bear McCreary's freaking wonderful music, it's just like a magical spectacle on screen every time. That's a so, yeah, pretty I, good point I really with, it. with the, the score as well is it's fairly simple. Oh, yeah. I mean, obviously, like the action sequences are more pumped up, but for more of the the intimate moments, it's a pretty easygoing score which really i think builds on the the storytelling aspect yeah well it, it hits 
only when it needs to. Basically, when you don't have to hear audio cues from the actual gameplay or need to hear voice lines from the actual gameplay. It, it always hits in a cutscene, but since it's no cut cutscenes, the music flows so wonderfully well. Yeah. They, they did a wonderful job on it. So do you think that this game was designed more for the story in mind or more for the gameplay in mind? I want to say it was for the gameplay because it is a, a fairly straight hack and slash action adventure style game. But I think the story was much more compelling than anything in the series previously. And for a lot of people, that was probably extremely surprising. I think that the mm. writing on it actually made people enjoy the overall experience of the game more than just the the individual action sequences. Because the same thing that I have problems with, I've heard there's repetitive bosses and enemies and there's a lot of things that you do over and over again, but it's still really worth it to experience this world and this story and specifically the way that they're slowly rolling it out. And the mm. main story is just, you know, an interaction between a, a father and the son after losing the, the mom. Very first beginning of the game, you're like collecting bundles of sticks to give a funeral to the Kratos' wife well it's it's also wild to me that the director cory barlog the only thing he's written is anything in the god of war universe so god of war 2 god of war chains of olympus god of war goes to sparta and then straight on to 2018 god of war so his writing definitely has improved and his directing i would say for all the cutscenes, it just works yeah, it's really nice. It, it seems like a lot of Sony video games, especially like first party studios like Santa Monica Studios that make this game, they're really focusing on creating something that you actually care for while you play and, you know, giving mm -hmm. you a reason to finish and to, to actually play through the story as opposed to going, well, the story's OK. I mean, I love the, the Batman Arkham games, but the stories in them are just ridiculous and all over the place. I don't really care for them, I and it kind of feels like a, an Arkham game in some aspects, but this one's a lot more fun because of the, the interaction of the characters and the story. Some really good dialogue aspect. We'll talk about that, I guess, a little bit later. Another game that I really enjoy the story for that I've actually been playing uh, recently is uh, Red Dead Redemption 2. I've been playing it again. It's probably my favorite video game story. And Tommy finally played it and completed mm -hmm. the main story and the epilogues. So spoilers on Red Dead Redemption 2, I guess another 2018 oh. game, if I'm not mistaken. What a good year for gaming. <laughs> yeah, good year for Sony and gaming. Yeah. yeah, I completed it, and I think there's something within Red Dead called Ludonarrative Distance, and it, well, I guess it's it's every game, technically, the idea has Ludonarrative Dissonance, but Red Dead executes on this idea probably the best out of any game i've ever played question yes you're saying that they're executing it the best but isn't ludo narrative dissidence an inherently negative thing because it i guess technically it, it is not causes a disconnect between the way that a player is experiencing the game and playing the game yes or experiencing so, the story and playing the game i think what tommy's trying to but they the writers of that and the designers had that in mind at least i feel they did when they designed the game so they so it was intentional it, it was intentional that okay. when you did actions as a player that you were getting sick of 
the main character was also getting sick of those actions. And Mm -hmm. it really fed into the story because you feel what the main character is feeling without realizing it. The perfect example of this is in the fifth chapter, which everybody hates. You go to this island and then you're just killing people nonstop. And you're like, I don't care about this island. I don't care about these killing. I want to get back to the mainland. I want to I want to explore that. I want to interact with all these people I've interacted with before and go to the familiar territory. But you're just like killing a bunch. And as a player, it's it drags on for almost an hour and a half and you get really bored and sick of it. But the beautiful part is the main character is also getting sick of all the pointless killing. And that is almost the point of the entire island, in my opinion. It's to show you that the main character and your actions are in sync. You don't want to be killing people, and neither does the main character. So that is where they bridge that ludonarrative dissonance gap. It, it almost that doesn't sound like dissonance, though. Exactly. That the, the dissonance is where it is a conflict between gameplay and storytelling. And this yeah. is conscious of it. So they made the gameplay feed into the fact that the storytelling is like all in one. So it, the idea of ludonarrative dissonance in general is imagine you are a hero in a video game and you're told to mm-hmm. go rescue the princess or whatever. And then by going and rescue the princess, you kill a thousand people. The dissonance right. there you is that. You become the bad guy even though you're supposed to be the, the good guy. Yeah. And then in the end, you're like, congratulations, you saved the princess. Well, as a player, you just went through and killed a thousand people. And so there is that dissonance between the gameplay and the story of saving a princess without being the bad guy. Here, it embraces the fact of like, you don't want to do the thing that you're doing as a player and the character doesn't want to do it as well. So it takes that that dissonance between gameplay and narrative and just blends it so magically. I think that at that point, that becomes the story, the point of the story and the point of the experience. It's so intentionally dissonant that it's no longer dissonance it's it's like moved beyond that it's not actually dissonant it and that's that's the idea is it is it's finally taking into account like make your gameplay the same thing as the story so that it enhances both aspects right it's so by lining it up even though there's that level of i don't want to do this my character doesn't want to do this it's no longer a ludo narrative dissonance yeah situation exactly yeah but it's because they understood that when they were designing it that i believe that it it just plays into the story and the emotion and gets you dragged into the head of the character so when some of the final things happen to the character you're just so much more emotionally invested at that point in the story and it pays off in a way that for me is just super satisfying and tommy i don't know how you felt about the ending and well i mean just in general i think it's the only game to make me feel like the actions I did in game were directly affecting the story. And then therefore I felt like it was my fault. The story was going the way it was and not the character's fault. I know a lot of times watching or consuming any type of media, I'm, I have empathy or uh, a sympathy for characters, but I don't feel what they feel. And this game, I am feeling exactly how I feel with Arthur and it makes pretty much the later chapters, the ones that I think a lot of people dislike, for me, that much more enjoyable because my empathy and sympathy for these characters have grown tenfold because I also feel like I am the reason why 
this story is the way it is. Like, I've contributed to all the killing and murder, and I feel terrible. So I need to make this right by being good Arthur and so on and so forth. But it ends in such like a, or Arthur's story ended in such a way that was not nice, for lack of a better word. It was bloody. It was brutal. It was disgusting. It was not satisfying. And I think it made that all, all of these arcs and characters so much more interesting to me because it wasn't like he has plot armor. It, it felt like his actions actually took a toll on him and then he got what he deserved, unfortunately, even if the other people surrounding him should have gotten what he got. No, I don't know. It just feels it was such a such an odd way to end it, but perfect to me. Yeah, specifically spoilers for it in case anybody hasn't played. It's really good. Go play it. Arthur dies. But in the very beginning of the game, he goes and it tries to get money from somebody and he actually gets sick. He gets tuberculosis from this guy, but you don't know it until much, much later in the game when Arthur starts getting sick. And then it flashes back to Arthur realizing that his actions in the past have finally caught up to him. And he can't outrun this. And the, the whole rest of the game is them trying to outrun their problems and figure out a way to get going. And Arthur's like, well, I don't have time. I can't outrun because it's tuberculosis. I'm going to die. So let me figure out what I can do with the time left. That is important. And it is a very beautiful way. And then depending upon if you're good Arthur or bad Arthur, you die in two different ways. If you're good Arthur, you get to watch the sunset as you, you know, as everybody that you hate as a player gets away until you get into the epilogue later. So it's just, it's a very satisfying way of telling that idea of a story, but not overdoing it. And it might not be super satisfying because everybody wants a hero that survives, but it's more interesting when it doesn't always happen. Now, to go back to the ludonarrative dissidents, when you're talking about a game having ludonarrative dissidents, that means that the story and the gameplay are more disconnected or less disconnected or i guess more, more disconnected, disconnected or more they're more disconnected the di- the dissonance is the separation between the narrative and the gameplay oh okay okay i just wanted to clarify that <laughs> mostly for me in psychological terms the dissonance is actually what the player is feeling because of the disconnect between story and gameplay yeah interesting Somebody coined the term, I believe, at like a GDC talk or something like that. I should know this information because I read it a couple weeks ago, but, you know, my brain is <laughs> pumpkin. It's just squishy with seeds inside. Is <laughs> <laughs> Clint Hawking. He coined the term after the release of Bioshock because of its wonderful little mechanic. That's right. If, if I'm not mistaken, he said that the problem with Bioshock is that throughout the game, it teaches you gameplay wise, you can make these decisions that are really like effective and they they change the world around you. But realistically, somebody is also telling you, go here, do this, do that. And so as a as a gameplay, you don't really have a choice. You have to do what they say. So there's that weird separation between the overarching like world that they're trying to build. Like you can choose what you want, and that's the promise of gameplay. But then the delivery of gameplay is actually no, your choices can't matter because we have to do this gameplay line, this arc. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. 
something really cool to think about when you're playing a game is how are you as a player feeling versus how the game is telling you to feel versus what you're actually doing. And I feel that game similar to God of War and then even Red Dead Redemption 2, which is the best example that I know of, really just bridge that gap and bring that gameplay and storytelling to a whole nother level. It's odd, too, because I, I know I have zero patience for most things. So when playing Red Dead, Red Dead is a very, very slow game. It's a gorgeous and beautifully detailed game, but it's also a very slow game. And my patience was running so thin. So I think it was like third and fourth chapter. I was like bored out of my mind. I was not immersed in the gameplay per se, but I was in the story. But I kept I just kept playing. And then that's where I realized, oh, my gosh, I'm supposed to feel this way. This is this is stupid. They're smart. And then it kept going and it kept following with that idea. It, it opened up to it more and more and more. And I, I find it interesting that I wasn't, or at least to me, immersion doesn't have to directly af- affect if a game has a lot of ludonarrative dissonance versus a little ludonarrative dissonance. And music in Red Dead 2 is fantastic. There's this one song called Mountain Hymn where it's just this lady like humming over and over and it just gets stuck in my head so much. I just can't get it out. And I'm always like humming it to myself for about a month or two after I, I, you know, stop playing the game. You know what I find interesting? And let me know if you guys find it interesting too. Video games are fun. They're, it's a game, right? Interesting. They're fun. I know, I know. That's the interesting. That's all I had. Wait, no, they are. <laughs> They're supposed to be missing. Derailing you. <laughs> they are frustrating sometimes. Yes. But what I was trying to say is like with TV shows or with movies, you have your TV shows or movies that are purely entertainment. And even with books and blah, 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 all the other things. You have your media that's pure entertainment. And then you have your media that is like introspective and really tries to get you to think. And I think it's so interesting that video games have sort of evolved to also meet the sort of media criteria of, yes, you are playing a game, but there's also a lot of like introspective sort of highbrow video games that really try to get you to think about life and what it means to exist and everything. And I just find it really cool that Video games are also doing that now. It's no longer, oh, yeah, it's just a video game. You shoot people. It's like, hey, here's a video game and we're going to make you think. Like, I just think that it's very interesting that video games have moved into that sort of realm of intellectualism. If that makes sense. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, pineapple bread. <laughs> hmm? Well, I mean, <laughs> I was going to say to kind of go along that if you look at anything Hideo Kojima has done in the past like decade he really 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 loves making movie video games like anything he's directed is it has such a odd cinematography cinematography vibe I don't know how cinema cinematic that's the word jesus christ he has like a very odd cinematic vibe about all of his games he loves creating these wondrous images to make your mind just go wild like oh what could this be i really think that he's actually done that for his entire game career i think that's why he's so famous i mean if you i guess when you go back to like metal gear solid 2 or metal gear solid yeah metal gear solid 
is a type of artist that realizes that video games are not just something that you can play. It is an experience that you can have a unique artistic medium that is totally different. So you have film and uh, television, and they're, you know, fairly similar. They both have different lengths and formats and stuff like that. But there are a visual format. You have music, which is an audible. And, you know, there is sculptures and stuff. So it can be a real world, maybe even a tactile. But video games can combine a lot of different things together. But then it also puts the person in charge in that game. So it allows Mm -hmm. somebody to interact in ways that art forms typically never do. And I think that he realized that a long time ago went, okay, I'm going to blend this from not only just a game, but I'm also going to make it a movie that you can control. It's exactly why his Silent Hills demo was absolutely terrifying. First of all, being in control of a horror situation immediately is more scary than watching or seeing someone do something in the horror realm totally because you're in control you're experiencing this and then having kojima in can like making a a cinematic game of just horror is mind-boggling like that's exactly i i'm so sad it got canceled because i think that would have been it would have gone down as probably one of the best games in in all of history Maybe Uh, like just a little demo. It was. I mean, I think the demo got enough attention, at least maybe not best, but definitely the one of the most memorable games like, oh, Silent Hills. Well, I mean, I think the demo kind of the demo was called PT for playable tester and it was. Oh, that's why it's called PT. Yeah, Yeah. I believe it's playable. All these years. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Wow. You're really learning something new every day. (laughs) Yeah. So. (laughs) horror in general i believe is definitely amplified i i don't think we can say it would have been one of the best video games ever just because we don't know you know obviously that was a short experience yeah i'm just prediction yeah it it definitely could have been but you look at later stuff he's done and it's been extremely mixed most of his stuff has not been extremely mixed mainly like death stranding was the big mixed one that's the thing is the only person i've seen who hasn't liked it but then ended up liking it is donkey like everyone that i've seen who legit and i think it i think it's because donkey doesn't like it because he also is someone with zero patience whilst i've i've watched so many and read so many other reviews on death stranding that and maybe this is also another one of those games it it doesn't definitely bridge the gap of ludonarrative distance because his stories are so whack but it makes you think about your actions as a player the whole idea of the game is like yeah it's a walking simulator but your purpose is to help other players while they in their first time get across the world with ease rather than it's like about bridging connections between other players without you ever seeing another player it's about making like your strands you're no I can't speak anymore. <laughs> you said it. Missy, what were you going <laughs> to say earlier? I was just going to bring up an example of a game on that topic. Yogg's Cast Games recently published a game called Trolley Problem Inc. And it de- it's all about like philosophy and psychology. And they ask you a series of questions about some commonly known um, situations, you know, the hypotheticals. If like six people are definitely going to kill by a train and you can flip a switch and make it go a different way and only kill one person. Like, well, would you flip the switch? That kind of thing. Right. 
have you guys ever been asked that question before? Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. So the whole game is dealing with those kind of situations. It's about, you know, where does your moral compass lie? And they'll ask you the same question, but with different variations of it. And as you go through this narrative, they show you how the rest of the people who've played the game so far have answered. And it also gives you a time limit quite often to answer these. And it how quickly you answer them is part of the scoring process. And it's not a you score as a better person or worse person. It's simply like a, a result. Like this is how you make your decisions and how quickly it takes and stuff like that. So it's a very interesting game because it, it's going through all of these really sometimes difficult moral questions that you always think of as a hypothetical, but it makes you kind of think about like, okay, well, what if this situation were real and we've just upped the stakes? There is something that's slightly similar that I played and it was just a game on Reddit and it's uh, called Absurd Trolley Problems. And mm -hmm. uh, it's just, you, you can like Google it and do it. There's like, I don't know, a bunch of questions and it is increasingly difficult, but it also shows you what other people chose and how much percentage you are away from other people um, mm -hmm. with those choices. And at the end, it shows you how many people you've killed. So it's kind of fun to go through, but there's some ridiculous ones in there, which, you know, it's, it goes into much more than just a simple trolley problem. It's like, well, there's one rich person and four or like five rich people and then one poor person. So do you kill the poor person to save all the rich people? And then you go like, oh man, my morals, like, I don't know what to do here. So it's fun. Yeah, that's exactly like this game. Yeah, it keeps getting more and more complex. It gets, yeah, every every question gets harder and harder to quickly answer because it, they're giving you more details about the people instead of just making it numbers. But I feel like in situations like that, you're not going to get a full rundown of, okay, here's what's, here's these people. It's like, you have to make like, here's a yeah. decision, them or them, you know? Well, True. that's, that's the, the interesting core of the trolley problem, right? Is once you know, you are then responsible. If you don't know that the switch does anything, then, and you did no action, then you're not responsible for what happened. But as soon as you know that you have the power and that switch does something, then you have to choose because doing nothing at that point is a choice because you have that mm -hmm. knowledge, which just makes it so much more complicated when you when you think about it. It's the knowledge that gives you the power. Yeah. And then knowledge, power. I know what I know. Oh, no. Oh, boy. <laughs> I was going to say there. I think there was like a little meme video of someone doing that to a kid. But like they showed him like on their little train set and the kid took the one person, put it over with all the other five people and then ran over all of the people together. <laughs> oh, see, I saw oh, something totally that. different. <laughs> I saw it presented where the father was trying to explain to his kid the the difference like what would you choose and the kid picks up the one person puts them with the other people and then drives safely on the track like without hurting any of them the kid just instantly made that decision like yeah, well, but I'm that's not funny so. i know but i just think <laughs> no, from just like a moral perspective it's interesting the mind of a child oh you know? absolutely you know what it is because in their mind that's how you solve that problem exactly it's there's not like a real that is the real world application for them exactly you know? it, i I, th I think it's kind of interesting that the child there broke the rules and just picked up the the like made the obvious choice 
And I, mm-hmm. I love video games that give you God powers to just do whatever and don't hold back on it. There was this one VR game that I've watched where you're supposed to like help people, but you can like just pick them up. You're like your God's hand. You can like pick them up and throw them across mm. the city and stuff like that, which is, you know, hysterical because obviously it's a video game and you're just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I just did that. But I, I just love the, the idea of being unhinged with the way that you can create your own gameplay and, and that that child just did the exact same thing. It was like, well, here, I'll just solve the problem by breaking all the rules and just picking this up and moving it. There, done. No trolley problem. That's what modders are for? Yeah. No, for modders are for games? Thomas the Tank Engine. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry, yeah. apologies. If that's not the first mod that's adapted to your video game, you're obviously failing as a video game. Yeah. Or failing as a modder. I don't so know is modding fan fiction? Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. Wait, what? Modding for video games? Oh, I'm thinking moderators. Apologies. Oh. I was thinking yeah, piercings okay. and tattoos. Oh, like body like mods? Self-modding? Yeah. No, I, I think it totally is because it, it's essentially writing your own script yeah. to Changing a, it to do what you want. Exactly. Even if it's just having your main character walk around with Tom, as Thomas the Tank Engine, you're still creating your own world in which that is a thing that is possible. <laughs> I'm just saying, people crap on fan fiction a lot, but fan fiction comes in many forms. Fan fiction can be necessary to save a series like most most Bethesda games, because (laughs) uh, without it, the games break. But with it, the fan fiction fixes the problems and bugs and makes them fun. Well, I will say for Skyrim, my old roommate had played Skyrim so many times, and I'm sure that this is a very relatable story. But there is a certain mod that he absolutely loved, but the mod kept updating. And every time it updated, it didn't save anything. You had to start from scratch. Mm. So he restarted like five. I think it was the fourth time he's finally like, you know what? I can't do it anymore. I'm done. I don't want to do it. And then just messaged me recently and was like, yeah, so I started the mod again. Man, I forgot how much I love this game. It's so amazing. (laughs) So it's interesting how mods for games can renew the love of a game itself and make you want to play it a million times just to see, you know, Thomas flying through the air as a dragon or whatever it may be. Have you guys ever played any games with mods that have kind of renewed your faith in them? Um, I may be on the very opposite end of the expe- spectrum here, but I've only been able to play like a, a game, a modded game besides Minecraft. Minecraft's another story. Any other like Bethesda game, I think is the best way I can describe it. Fallout and Skyrim and all that wonderful stuff. I can't play those for more than 30 minutes because it, it, it gets to the point where it's so far from the game where I'm like, well, why would I even play this at this point? I've already played Skyrim vanilla and now I'm just coming back and playing a mod. I'm kind of bored. I like the only mods I will play on are like graphical mods. Oh, this is a little bit prettier to the eyes. But most times yeah. I like to enjoy it how the developer intended. And I usually don't do second playthroughs. So it, so here's a good God did not intend Thomas the Tank Engine in my <laughs> video game. <laughs> <laughs> so when I'm playing games like we'll say Fallout 4, right? But the first time I try and go through a developer intended, 
But the second time I play it, I know that there's something I'm going to get annoyed with because developers specifically try to put in cycles that the players do so that you go back to town or you interact with more people or go to spots that you typically wouldn't go to before. But since I'm playing through it the second time and it's all about like exploration this time and seeing all the things I didn't do, sometimes I'll do mods like unlimited weight. Like I don't want to have to worry about going and selling the stuff that I carry. I understand the purpose of it in the original design, but on my second playthrough, I don't want it to hinder the experience of me just running around and seeing everything. So I'll do mods like that or mods that kind of affect gameplay, not, you know, God mode sort of thing, but just do mods where I have more fun and I know the problems I had last time that I don't want to have to deal with while I'm doing it this time. Mods that enhance player experience. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Enhance, Enhance the player experience that somebody who's already done it, maybe. I will say one mod that I think is really cool is in Satisfactory, they have like an arachnophobia. I mean, I guess it's a, a mode, but they have the arachnophobia mode where instead of it being spiders that run around, it's like 2D pictures of cats that are now running around instead. So I think that mods can enhance the gameplay. They can take it away, but they can also add something fun to help enhance someone's regular gameplay without taking away from the story at all. Yeah. So like from an accessibility perspective. Ex- yeah, exa- that's exactly. Yeah. Thank you for words cuz I don't, you know. <laughs> so there's there's the 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 Thief video game series that I played ever since I was really young where you're Garrett, you're a thief and you go around stealing gems and you get caught up in this plot, right? Well, the third game came out And I have it in my Steam account, and I actually downloaded this. I forgot about it until we started talking about mods. But there are several things that it fixes. It was a game that came out during the Xbox era, I believe, maybe 360, one of the two. And it had very limited zones, so you would kind of have to go through these doors to load the next zone. Well, the mod, uh, one of the things the mod does is get rid of those loading zones. So... You can actually just travel from zone to zone to zone without having to load. And it, you know, Hmm. does all the work in the background because it's a PC now. It's not an original Xbox. It's a lot more powerful. And so I like mods that do things like that, that will change your gameplay experience from the original developer thing because it only enhances it based upon the technological limitations that were available at the time. So I also have to play that, I guess, once I finish God of War, maybe. I've got all of them if you want to borrow them from my library. Oh, I have it too. I just, I oh, finally I downloaded the, the entire mod pack that changes a bunch of stuff like that, which makes the experience more, more fluid, seamless, bug fixes, textures, blah, 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 blah. Well, I think we're probably wrapping up this uh, episode. I will say the one most important question that I asked previously, but I think everyone really needs to delve deep into it. If dogs owned a restaurant what would it be called and what do they sell Hmm. missy for you you can do cats i'll let you do cats what's your example amy well i'm not sure what it would be called but i do think that it would be like a diner it would be like howl at the moon diner or something (laughs) like that and it would be (laughs) They would just serve everything. Nothing's off the menu, like anything and everything you can find. Mine would be called The Last Pupper. And (laughs) it's where (laughs) you go to have your last meal and a bunch of Great Danes are serving you. So I think it's pretty good. The Last Pupper. That's pretty good.
I think mine is going to be called The Forbidden Saucer, and it is an adult nightclub. (laughs) Saucy. I think mine would be called The Dump, and it is just (laughs) pillows and couches to chew (laughs) and banana peels to eat, and you just name it. (laughs) And dogs would love it. They'd be like, oh my god, The Dump, I want to (laughs) go! Missy's dying yeah. for those. I just took a sip of water and he's <laughs> the dump. My great invention, the dump. <laughs> Liam? I would probably do hot dogs for dinner or hot dogs for lunch or breakfast. Is that the entire and, uh, name of the restaurant? So you- hot dogs for yeah, dinner hot dogs for or dinner. hot dogs for lunch or breakfast? <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, you just go and eat dogs. Oh, oh. <laughs> get them hot and fresh oh no <laughs> oh man is that also the tagline yeah you just go in and eat dogs <laughs> like right under get them that hot and fresh. <laughs> the hot dog i think my business would be the most successful <laughs> it would get a lot of those this stray dogs like- off the street you know what i'm saying yeah too many how to put them for use Okay, well, on that note, thank you, Liam, and everyone for participating in my silly little question. Thank you, those at home who are listening. We really appreciate you listening to all these shenanigans. If you have any game that you feel doesn't have that Ludo Dissonance... No, Ludo Narrative Dissonance. See, I still can't say it right. (laughs) If there's any games that you feel they're a good example of, like, both the storytelling and the gameplay kind of coming in, syncing up very beautifully, let us know. We would love to try to play that, see for ourselves how it works. Or if you think that there's one that's terrible, let us know. We would also probably love to play that, let's be honest. But either way, we appreciate you listening to us. If you want to reach us, we are on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Reddit. We are 1L2N Productions. You can also hit us up on our website, which is 1L2NProductions.com. And if you like what we're doing here and you want to help show your support, you can head on over to our Patreon. And the last word of the day goes to... Wait, first of all, I have all of my dice out. Which dice should I pick, guys? Blue. Uh, left. That one. I said heard blue. The first. up one. Okay, and that was kind of up anyway. So all right. <laughs> last word of the day <laughs> the last word of the day goes to Tommy. Ludo narrative dissonance is the conflict between a video game's narrative told through the story and the narrative told through the gameplay. Ludo narrative, a compound of ludology and narrative, refers to the intersection in a video game of ludic elements, gameplay, and narrative elements. Clint Hawking. A former creative director at LucasArts and then at Ubisoft, coined the term 